What's up, idiots? This is Donnie Sapphire, and you're listening to my podcast, which is called Mistakes. Each episode, we talk to a comedian or performer of some kind about mistakes they've made in their life, episodes they regret, things that they saw other people do that were bad, or just crazy stories about fiascos and whatnot. This time around, we're talking to my friend Zach Peterson. Zach is a stand-up comedian, originally from Omaha, living in Chicago now. Uh, Zach's almost exactly my age, so this is probably the episode where most of my interviewing technique consists of saying, Me too! I remember that! It's just inevitable. We both got into the same music at the same time, then we both went to college, and then we both kind of failed at real life, and got into comedy instead and sort of like reliving our old punk rock dreams at least that was the narrative i tried to put on it i don't think zach sees it that way but that was what the conversation was about check zach out on twitter at mr zach peterson mr zach peterson he also hosts a podcast called getting around to it with the alliteratively hilarious goodrich Givart. And it's a podcast where they sit down with someone who hasn't seen a movie they always meant to see, and then they get that person's opinion on the movie. It's hilarious. And he also is one of the masterminds behind Arguments and Grievances, which is a live show on the first Sunday of every month at Shuba's in Chicago, and they also do that as a podcast. It's like a debate between two comedians on ridiculous topics. And as for me, I actually have a show to plug this month. I'm doing the Blackout Diaries, February 21st, at the Hi-Hat in Chicago, on Irving. Let's look at Irving and Damon. The Hi-Hat is a cool new place that opened up, and they do the Blackout Diaries, they do Sad Sacks and Wisecracks, and I think a third comedy show. It's kind of taking over all the old Lincoln Lodge stuff, because it is like a block from where the Lincoln Lodge was, and is. Since they closed the Lincoln Lodge down, ain't shit happening with that building. Even the head of Abraham Lincoln's still sitting there. It's a shame. But yeah, come out and hear me tell a story. In three weeks, me and a bunch of other people, I think it's 10 bucks, but you get usually a free drink or two at the end. Malort like sponsors some stuff, so you get your money's worth, man, and uh, I was highly entertained the last time I did one of these. I mean, normally when I do comedy, I'm like half in my own head and half kind of like, ugh, more jokes about Tinder, but that's not what the Blackout Diaries is about. The Blackout Diaries is about people getting fucked up and the stories that ensue, so February 21st, come check me out at that. And without further ado, here's my talk with Zach Peterson. Welcome back to Mistakes with Donnie Sapphire, the podcast that was briefly known as Mistakes Were Made. But literally the day that I published the first episode to iTunes, some kind of podcast about cards by that name also published. About cards? Yeah, some kind of card game. Oh. And then they talk about it afterwards. Not like Hallmark cards? Oh, no. Maybe. <laughs> but, uh, like, Magic the Gathering. But, like, an off... Not... not Yu-Gi-Oh or some shit? Yo, I don't know. My brain was, like... It's too much built of anti-nerd that, like, in trying to research it... And I don't know. I just, like, fell off of the chair and found myself on the floor. My brain was like, we can't know this! It's too dorky! Mistakes so. is fine. Yeah, besides, there's a trend for one-name podcasts, you know. Lies with Sarah Schaefer. Sure. Terrified with Dave Ross. Yeah. And this one. Three is a trend. Yeah, that's good. The main thing about it, I realized also, is it lets you put your own name in the header on iTunes. So, because you'd have to only be, it's like 25 characters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is my ticket to fame and fortune. (laughs) 
Now, that's important. It's all about me. It's always all about me. No, not really. But, you know, what if mistakes were made mean except mistakes? And then yeah. you put it in a tense for some reason. I think it's about the same. I wouldn't sweat it. Well, you would not believe how much time I spent thinking about it. <laughs> Any amount of time is too much time, really. But I'm here with Zach Peterson, uh, Mr. Zach Peterson on Twitter. Not to be confused with the doctor, the same name. Is there a doctor? No. I'm just, you know, because it's got Mr. on there. I'd like to think I'm the most successful Zach Peterson. Do you know any Virginia Petersons? No. Because there's an intersection in Chicago of Virginia and Peterson on the Lincoln bus. Really? And every time I pass by it, the bus says, Virginia Peterson. Virginia Peterson. And I think, if that's a real person, I want to sure send them this audio file. They don't care. There's Scandinavians all over the goddamn place. That's true. And yeah, I actually follow one other Peterson on Twitter who lives in Sweden. I don't know why I follow this. Like, people change their focus over time. You're allowed to say, okay, that's not what I signed up for, but I don't yeah. do that. So he used to write jokes. Now all he does are pro-communist rants. Huh. I, I, re- I realized I had to stop talking about Seahawks football <laughs> because people got really annoyed about that. I always think it's funny that comedy people, either they love to overanalyze sports or they love to overanalyze reality television. Mm-hmm. But the one camp tends to loathe the other one. And I'm not in either one, so really none of it bothers me that much. Yeah. Well, it's just analytical mind. It has to work somehow. I just mute topics. The worst, the only thing I really can't stand are the award shows. When every single person in the universe is live-tweeting what they think about the thing on the TV that every other single person in the universe can see. Yeah. Celebrity deaths. When that happens, I leave social media for a few days. Yeah. Oh, man. Robin Williams is the worst too because well of course that's going to touch everyone in comedy yeah and also like it's not so much like people making shitty jokes because they're shitty but also that uh you know like should i just find insincere and disingenuous you know you're just jumping on the grief wagon yeah i mean it's weird it's weirder that it's sincere in many cases yeah that's the weirdest thing if you want to seem like a cool guy for caring about robin williams i understand that And also, like, making that differentiation, I don't think that's the right word, is a problem with me. So I got to stop doing that by just getting off Twitter. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You start to question but, motives. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, you really give a shit. Like, you know, that's not a nice thing to say. So get off Twitter, ignore <laughs> it, don't feel bad about yourself, and don't feel bad about other people. But the horrifying thing is that so many people are really upset about the death of someone they've never met, who will never meet them, yeah. whose life has no impact on theirs. They think it does because the TV is more real to us than our own family and friends. That's true. Now I say that like I care one way or another. I don't care. That's yeah. fine. Who wanted to say that's wrong? But what, what celebrity death like affected you the most ever? I got three. I got three loaded up. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. Who's the first one? Uh Vonnegut. Yeah, I was actually thinking that. It's a cheap one because I met him a year before. Did you? Not really. Like, I saw him. And if you see Kurt Vonnegut, he's unquestionably Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Like, he had that big mustache, like, smoking yeah. a fucking cigar. He's, like, 97 or whatever the fuck he was. Yeah. Like, so I was just like, oh, hey, man, it's cool to see you. I love everything you've written. And then he, was, he nodded at me. So, for all I know, it could have been a celebrity impersonator. But I feel like it definitely was because of other people having seen him there, too. Yeah. Slightly touched my life, but not really. Number two on the list? Yeah. John Candy. I didn't really appreciate his work until I was a little older. How old are you? 34, 35? 33. 33. Well, I'm, 30, I'm 32. I feel like I'm just a little too young to have been there for the mix for like, uh, like planes, trains, and automobiles. Sure. Or, um, Great outdoors. 
I don't think I've seen that since it came out. Um, I was too young then. I, I, I went back and rewatched a bunch of the good candy movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I really liked them from SCTV. Yeah. I love SCTV. It was so surreal. It was like Monty Python, but American, even though also Canadian. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know him at the time, so I didn't know. I was bummed about, more probably more bummed about Chris Farley. Really? And, I mean, still not really. Who was your third one? Uh, Robin Williams, or future Neil Young. One or two. Well, Neil Young, at least he's, he, unless he, like, commits suicide or something, he's had a good run. Yeah, he has. I mean, he's old. I mean, he's still playing, so, I mean, he's not, but so is Dylan, and Dylan can't be that, uh, he's old. I don't want to talk, like, I feel bad talking about people's deaths. Yeah. You know? We don't want to jinx you, Dylan. Yeah. David Foster Wallace was really upsetting for me. Uh, Only because you could tell that he really pulled himself out of a terrible depression, and then this thing, you know, and that's it. He had like good years, and that that happens sometimes with su- with suicidal ideation. Yeah, it's wild. It's just a bummer. No. Okay, so we're gonna try to touch on themes of of punk rock as as kids and college, and then possibly tied into romance or marriage or divorce later. We'll see. Zach wants to cover all possible mistakes. In one podcast. I have a lot of them. Yeah. I'm like, leave some shit for the other. But no, I mean, all these things, <laughs> they tie together. How young were you when you started listening to punk rock? Uh, I remember I first saw Bad Religion on 120 Minutes. I mean, like, before that, I was listening to, like, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, and Meat Puppets, and things like that, which can be yeah. considered punk rock, especially nowadays. Like, you put on a Nirvana record, and that's not uh, mainstream rock uh, by any means. But, I mean... I started listening like heavily in, into that type of music, the grunge, because that was the music of the time in the mid-90s. I was in sixth grade. Uh, and then like when I hit junior high, you know, and I was got into the, the standard punk rock stuff you're, you get in when you're in junior high, you know, like uh, No Effects, Bad Religion. I think I got into Rancid when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. I saw Rancid in seventh grade. I was terrified because I knew that Tim liked to hawk loogies at the crowd. I was like, I don't want to get a loogie on me. So I stayed in the balcony, which is kind of a pussy move from a punk rock perspective. My first show I went to was actually The Cramps. Nice. With, uh, and then Guitar Wolf and Demolition Doll Rods. Oh, well, that's already venturing outside of the punk rock boundaries. Yeah. That, uh, so right, I think, and I remember then eighth grade was the first time I got in the pit. Because yeah. that was Bad Religion Grey Race Tour, which was really exciting, actually, because before that, that album, that was their big alternative rock album, the 21st Century Digital Boy on mm-hmm. there. But it was not that punk, you know? No, it really wasn't, but that's the album that got me into it because they were uh, on BMG. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, BMG yeah, that's how I got it, too. It was one of my 12 records for a penny. Yeah. 12, 12 cassettes. Well, same here, and like I got like talking heads and stuff. Did with you that. get cassettes or CDs? Though I got CDs. I was already a dork for wanting cassettes. People were like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's better. It won't get scratched." Yeah, but by high school, I was less into that or less into like the no effect stuff, and I get I got more into like the propagandis of the world. I don't know about you, but I just kept going faster and harder in the terms of the music. I don't I don't know where I would. In high school and poor, we found the Fireside Bowl. I wish I could remember the first show I saw there, but I think it was uh, the Assorted Jelly Beans. Sure. I um, saw them with Homegrown. Against All Authority and Homegrown, yeah. Yeah, I saw that tour. It was sure. a great tour, and it was pretty packed, but it was still a really cheap show. I have deep within me a desire to one day do an open mic there, or just get them to do punk shows again. For the discerning listener who may not know this, it was uh, Bowling Alley. 
And then for some reason in the 90s, they just started having punk shows there and not doing bowling. Yeah. Well, I remember like I always look at bands that I liked, Tour Log, and you'd know the cool place because all the cool bands went there. And it was always Fireside Bowl here. Sometimes off the alley. I don't remember that one. But I, I remember seeing Fireside Bowl. Like, oh, that's the cool... Or Gabe's Oasis in Iowa City. You know, like, oh, that's the cool place the cool bands go. What about in Omaha or the Cog Factory? Or the Ranch Bowl, but mostly the Cog Factory. Yeah, I feel like I've heard of the Cog Factory. Seen it on shirts. Mm-hmm. All my friends from Omaha, can I can trace knowing them back to the Cog Factory. That's dope, man. I mean, I had a lot of friends in the scene at the time of the Fireside. I found a couple people on you know Facebook since then. But they're like dentists or yeah. one guy's a stockbroker. They don't seem like... I'm sure they still party or whatever i just went back uh for christmas i went back and there my friend was in town who worked at the cog factory and he was having this weird like impromptu christmas party and he's now a uh military medical guy oh and then uh you know another one of my friends shows up and uh he's a high school history teacher another guy works for in real estate you I mean, know, you gotta have a job. You can't. Well, be... I'm not saying that like, oh, you fucking sold out. I was like, no, yeah, we need to have jobs, but we're fucking adults, you know. Well, all right. So, but that's what I want to talk about. So, with punk rock, you know, there's no lines between the audience and the crowd. At least at the mm-hmm. fireside, there's literally no lines. The stage is off in the corner where you would have, you know, a claw machine in a normal bowling alley. It's yeah. a weird stage. And when the band gets off, they sort of walk to the side a little bit where the lanes are because mm-hmm. you can't stand in the lanes. But then that's it. They don't have a green room or anything. Sure. They have a little table. So you can talk to everyone you want. You can stand next to them and sing along with them. And then afterwards, you can talk their ear off until they leave. And yeah. And some of the bands that would play there were in high school, you know, literally mm-hmm. doing algebra homework between sets. And yeah. Like, yeah. like, you can do this. If you think we're cool, why don't you write some songs and, and start a band, asshole? So, I used to bring books to the Cog Factory before I knew anyone. <laughs> just because I wanted to be around music. Yeah, I, I had like two or three friends, these poor guys, who like did not like punk rock, but they were bored and they had a car, so I would get them to go there with me, Yeah, uh, just because they wanted to do anything. I wish I had more friends in my life like that to this day. Mm-hmm. people with no agenda and a car. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Oh, God, that was most of fucking high school. Like, so oh, We know when a guy's 18 years old, you're going to buy his cigarettes? All right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, go hang out with him. I always wanted to buy cigarettes and smoke cigarettes, and then uh, <laughs> I think that was half the fucking reason I did anything in high school was trying to get cigarettes. And then pot is what splintered the scene a little bit, really, because then that what I was in a band and we missed practice because two weeks in a row, the drummer whose house we practiced at just got high and passed out in some friend's backyard or something. He knew we were supposed to be there on Sunday at 1. We had to go track his ass down and wake him up and go back there. And then, yeah. and then that was the end of that band. I was like, but uh, what was your first band? like? First band I was ever in. Uh, it was sort of like fucking... You've seen Cheech and Chong up in smoke? Of course. Yeah, it was... It was like, we don't know how to play instruments. We have any songs. Like, it's all right. Just be punk. It was Put your motorcycle on stage. Yeah, it was called uh, Art's Got a Gun, based after a line from the movie The Burbs. Nice. Actually, that's not bad. That's a good name for a group. And, uh, yeah, we were we just wanted to be fast and loud and scream, and that's exactly what we did. We, we didn't have chords. It was just noise and then not noises. It was just rests and not rests. Now, how did you feel when ska became popular? Because that was a big issue for our generation. Ska? Yeah. Seems like since you were so fast and loud, you would have been a little put off by it. Oh, like, 
Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and Cherry Poppin' Daddies and stuff like that around that time. Well, right? it filtered down here to the scene level. Like, yeah. they really started to have bands playing the Fireside with, like, five horn players. Mm. But still, like, a bunch of high school punk kids. But then the other half of the high school punk kids were like, this is gay as hell. I'm not mm. getting a trumpet player. Fuck you. And, I mean, it is awfully dorky. I liked a lot of the ska. But when I was man, we, we we wanted to be bands like Charles Bronson and the Locust but without any talent or... Was there a venue that you would hope to get to play at? Cock Factory. Mm. And we did. I mean, just because we were friends and you didn't have to... It wasn't like, uh, hey, your band's good enough. I started going to shows and started getting to bands. We quickly went away from uh, like punk rock and more into hardcore metal. The bands that I watched in Omaha are more like Back When, who was, did a lot of like As the Sun Sets... Daughter is very strange, like, timing. And I guess that's all I sort of got into. You said when you were done with high school, the first thing you did was go be in a band for a while? or Yeah. Um, well, I, I was in a band called Robots Don't Cry. We wanted to be City of Caterpillar, which was like a hardcore band, but with 13-minute songs. And five of those minutes were uh, just, like, build up to, like, a something else. Like, imagine... Just a fast, angry, hardcore band, but you mixed with Cigarettes. Yeah, I remember seeing some of these bands. And I was always impressed that they did their thing. They would just do 10-minute instrumentals, mm-hmm. combining elements of hardcore and punk and noise and indie. Yeah. And I was like, this is okay, whatever. Yeah, that, that's what we were doing. We toured around a little bit. It wasn't anything ever very serious. I'll never understand that subculture. It's like jam bands for punk kids. I don't get it. It is. Math rock. Yeah. That was, that was like the 10 minute stuff with the weird time signatures. That's math rock. Yeah. And I hated math at the time. I still do, but I'm, that was my peak of hating math. So. <laughs> well, it's the uh, punk rock and hardcore people that are hippies. You know, like, oh, we're. I mean, but that's not possible. I mean, I know it's it possible. It is. It is. I mean, like, look at Propagandi. Imagine if Propagandi is smoking They're Canadians. So that's a whole other I mean, if, thing. If they and the... gay. They're militant gay Canadians who are also, you know, <laughs> socialists, communists, arguably. So that's already well outside my field of reference point. But when you take a band that looks like they're going to play pop punk, but mm. then suddenly it's a six-minute wordless jam in a minor key. Yeah. And then I'm like, what? And then someone's like, oh, yeah, well, they're just math rock, you know? And I'm like, I hate math. And then they're yeah. like, well, it doesn't require you to do equations per se. Yeah. But why name it that? That's like naming a band atrocity rock. Just, <laughs> why, why are you bringing up bad shit, man? Yeah, so. we never played Chicago. The closest we got was a uh, West Chicago. What? It was like a, there. a skate ramp or something? No, it was in a it was in an old uh, recording studio. I don't think I've ever been to West Chicago. I know it's there. Yeah, we just looked at a train a lot because there's nothing to do there. So when did you give up on punk rock and focus on higher education? Um, you don't have to say that you ever gave up. Like I don't think I ever did. The band I was in, like for a it was breaking up b i never viewed it as something that i was going to do forever you know i never viewed it as something that would be my job or anything well i always feel like i failed in my punk rock dream by never living in a smelly van on the road for two months or whatever six months a year your life that was always the dream i wanted to tour around you did that yeah so you were able to do that for some time but i guess it wasn't enough to live on when you weren't doing that tour we didn't make any money sleep in vans sleep on floors so after high school, you take like some time between college or whatever to play punk rock. The overarching theme of my life in every way is not having a plan. It's just like, hey, I'm enjoying this a lot. Let's do this. How long did you do that before you were like, well, maybe I should go to college? 
I, I went to college twice within this uh, time, but I dropped out twice. You dropped out to do the band? Or... I dropped out because I didn't enjoy it. And then I worked a bunch of weird, fucking terrible jobs. I lived in a place where we had shows in the basement. And you know, my life was pretty much like go home and there'd be shows and band practice at my house. And then I'd go on tour. Still in Omar. Yeah. So you went to college in your hometown, so that's sort of. Well, my mom got a new job teaching at a uh, college that doesn't exist anymore called Dana College in Blair, Nebraska. And I went there because I got to go for free. It was a super small school. The whole school was smaller than my graduating class in high school. Which was what? My graduating class is about six, 700. Nice. So uh, I wasn't even that big graduating class. Yeah. Yeah. And I had the opposite thing. My high school class was, I think, 100 people, 98 people. And even though there were splits between the honors classes, kids, and the kids who like to smoke weed, uh, but we all got along and everything. And then I went to the University of Maryland, which is like oh, wow. 8,000 kids per class uh-huh. and very Greek, which is <laughs> shitty because. I had never had any intention of going to a fraternity. So let me just go back. So you were in a bunch of different bands in high school and then after high school. Yeah. I feel like you said that uh, you had some point where you were like, oh, I got to stop thinking that being in a band's ever going to be a thing and I got to finish school and get on with my life. Um, not really. I just didn't really have a plan, you know? <laughs> I mean, so why did the band ultimately break up for good? Oh, well, that, that band, uh, people had other bands and... That's we, hurtful. We oh. just didn't... <laughs> We had a dead stop in terms of creativity. And we just like, ah, uh, Just play the hits then. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't anything to anyone. You know, it wasn't like, oh, man, I got to get this band off the ground. It was like, this is a fun thing that we're doing. We take it seriously. We work hard. We want to make the best music we can. But it's not a huge deal. You know what I mean? It's not something that had to succeed. It's like, oh, we did our thing. Then we moved on. Right, I guess you felt like you were done with it then. Mm-hmm. Since I was the lead singer, like, I didn't, I, if, I think I'd still be in music if I knew how to play a fucking instrument. I, I took off after high school. I was, I went to Maryland for a while and fucked around. I came back here and then I was like, okay, we're getting the band back together. And that was probably my last big shot at musical success, which I was, uh, 20 turning 21 that year. Sure. So, and I remember, we were pretty good. I was the least talented one, so I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah. A really good guitar guy who's like from like a bunch of noise and like kind of black metal bands. And I would just write words over it. And then, um, and we played Hempfest, which was oh yeah, a bunch of people in a park smoking weed. And then the drummer had to leave town because he owed somebody money. Mm-hmm. And then we just never get it back together. I always felt like, well, that's it. I had my shot at that. I did go to college and get the uh, halfway mark degree. Mm-hmm. Never got the full degree. You said you have two degrees, right? Yeah, correct. So let's fast forward a little bit, you know, to color in the lines here. If you were focusing on finishing your degrees, then you wanted to work in those in some type of field. I originally wanted to be a history teacher. Yeah. And I got a degree in history. It was going to be secondary education with an emphasis of history. But then after teaching high school for like a week or two, it's like, I do not want to teach kids. I do not Was that for the children. student teaching aspect of it? Or? Yeah. That's a good place to jump out. And yeah. you think you might want to be a teacher, but then you go try it a little bit. And you're like, oh, no, I don't <laughs> want to be here at all. <laughs> yeah, but looking back on it now from me actually working, like being gainfully employed for most of my life, yeah, it wasn't that bad. In the mid-2000s, I did try to teach, and it sucked balls. And I'd been working this stretch of sales jobs. Well... After college, I got a uh, job teaching social skills to kids in a mental institution. That's interesting. Yeah. That was, did uh, you like that? I didn't. <laughs> well, so, wait, wait, did you teach in a like, regular high school classroom also, or just that? No. I student taught during college, 
to the uh, regular people. But you were still into it until afterwards when you got that well, job? Well, afterwards, like, the only job I was offered was this metal facility. So I, I took it, and I worked there for seven months, and then I quit. That's like, a pretty good run. Yeah, considering that, like, I was trained how to take children down because yeah. they, they were violent. I have a friend who just, he lives in group homes, and he's mainly the guy who has to take them down when they get out of line. Yep, I do that. But it's also very risky. Like, if their parents or somebody wants to yell at you for being abusive, then you need to have witnesses that were able to back you up or whatever. Yeah, well, luckily I never had to deal with that. Man, that's hard. So, wait, how old were you when you were like, I don't want to do this anymore? 28. 28? Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't graduate college until I was 27. I've still never graduated college, yeah. which keeps me eternally young. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I have an associate's degree, and I have about four classes left to take at Northeastern Illinois University. Yeah. I might actually finish that up this year or next year. I don't know. I'm the only member of my family not to graduate college, going back three mm-hmm. generations. So that's, <laughs> you always want to be the first, you know, yeah, to do yeah. something. Usually it's the other way around, but uh, I'm proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm just a fuck up in life to spite my parents, you know? <laughs> and it feels good. I mean, it shouldn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But, like, when they're despairing about it, you know, <laughs> I'm like, now you care, motherfuckers. Yeah, do you feel like you've squandered every opportunity you've been given? No, just a lot of opportunities. <laughs> Yeah, samesies. I mean, maybe my standards in life are low. But mm. I do have several friends who are dead, and several who are in jail for a mm. long time. So I'm always like, I'm not dead and I'm not in jail. Yeah. And those, you know, that's the only way it can be worse a lot of the time. That's definitely a win. I'm not homeless either. I have friends in L.A. who end up, like, sleeping in garages and stuff. Like, what, I don't even, and they're, like, mostly employed. But writers, it's such a dicey thing in LA especially if you're trying to they all have this scam where like they write on a show for a season then they get unemployment for nine months and then they hopefully get another job by the time that runs out yeah but if you know one of those things unemployment having been on unemployment once myself it's always a pain in the ass if everything doesn't go through exactly like dot the i and cross the t Mm -hmm. you don't get money for months at a time so i can imagine so after giving up on using you know the thing that you well you still could be a history teacher if you wanted to. Yeah, I'd have to go back to school. I don't know if that's for me. Get the certification. I still don't have a plan, though. Like, I mean, it's still like, uh, whatever happens, happens. You know, do you think there was a way that your uh, the, your music stuff could have could have become like a career? Or, you know, you could have been like a Blink-182 or a... Not really. Saves but... the day? No, absolutely not. You just don't think it was good? No, I just... For one, A, I'd never had any talent when it came to music. Well, I don't know that that's true because I've I never do. heard your attempts. I I've, I've been I was there the whole time, and I can tell you I didn't have any fucking talent when it came to music. I, was I always in, say that shit, but I secretly think I have some. I was a singer in a hardcore band. Yeah, that's well. You have to be strong. You played the throat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's about it. Like I can scream at people. That's not musical talent. Well, you could have still had like a novelty hit single or something like Suicidal Tendencies, sure. arguably. <laughs> but you didn't have the gimmick. Yeah. Did you always have in the back of your mind to do comedy or some type of performing art? Well, after, like, the band ended, I got in another band that was, you know, a thrash punk band, and it was fine. And then that ended, I just, I started making weird electronic music with old 8-bit video games and then looping them through pedals and, like, distorting them and things like that, and then putting organic instruments on top of them. And I stopped one day, I was like, I hate this. I realized I just needed something to do. You ever try to, like... Right? I mean, fiction or long-form journalism or anything? Me? Like, just do other stuff? Well, I think, like, the, my failure to be a writer 
it was sort of something that spurred me into comedy. Well, so, there was a while there when I was thinking about going back to school to be a history professor, so I could you know teach a university level. But the thing that scared the shit out of me was the writing, the actual work. I mean, because it's like, hey, I want to teach, but I don't want to teach children. I want to teach adults history. I was like, I just want to talk about history with people, you know, with, with fucking adults. And you can't do that. Like, if you're an actual professor, you have to write journal articles. and You have to research. And that's 95% of the work. The teaching is just sort of incidental. When I was still an undergrad, I was like... I could never be an academic because this is such bullshit. As an English major especially, like, we had to do literary theory where you just make up a bunch of bullshit about something and then you support it with examples from the text. And then I was like, well, I could be a writer, but I could never write longer than, like, 15 or 20 pages before losing interest. But then I was like, well, stand-up is kind of like performing smaller pieces, so I could always do that. And then many years of not doing so, and then eventually I started. Okay, so you thought you wanted to be a history professor. But yeah. you, you didn't want to write, or you didn't think you could. Did you ever try to write, like, long-form stuff? Um, what was the longest thing you ever wrote in college? 30 pages. Yeah, I had one of those. That was my senior thesis on the theory and implementation of Che Guevara's Foucault theory. Of what he said, how to, how to overthrow a government, and what he did, because uh, to overthrow governments, and if it's his theory that's flawed, or the practice that is flawed. That sounds like fun. Because he, you know, he, after Cuba, he went around the world trying to overthrow other governments. Yeah, well, South America. Yeah, and the Congo, too. How did that work out in the Congo? Bolivia and the Congo. Congo didn't go well. Bolivia didn't go well. He died in Bolivia. So he went to Congo first and then Bolivia? Yeah. Sucks. In the Congo, I think, if I remember correctly, because this was too long ago, I, I think Congo didn't go because you need to get... The population on your side. You have to be the people's champion, pretty much. So you turn the population against the regime. And, you know, this uh, South American dude goes to Congo, and they're like, we don't fucking care. Uh, yeah. Get out of here. So you'd have to get, I guess, probably a PhD to be a, a professor, right? Or... Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, community college, you could do it with master's. Right. So, but you you don't have a master's? or No. I just two, two bachelor's degrees? Two bachelor's, yeah. Ah, Yes. I almost did a second major in political science because I did that for a year and a half before I quit. Yeah. Political science, man, it's like you, if you're interested in politics or in how governments work, you have no interest. You have no place being in political science. <laughs> it's just for procedure dorks. Yeah. They're just like, oh, well, did you know if you use the IPE process, then you confront them with the uh, the model of realism, but with through the rubric of idealism. I don't give a fuck. Also, in Northeastern, there are a lot of hardcore socialists. It's weird. Most colleges are. Well, they're, I don't know, like... I used to fancy myself as a Marxist, as a socialist. I used to have a hammer and sickle tattooed on me, but I covered it up and... Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. That you got it and you covered it up. It's just dumb. It's like I was a fucking, I was nineteen, twenty-year-old kid. I always felt like if I got one tattoo, I would end up getting about eight or nine of them. Probably half of them I would regret. Yeah. And this uh, sun represents nature. Yeah, I, uh, I so have then, a lot of tattoos. Well, I know they're addictive once you start getting them, mm-hmm. too. I always liked socialism, but I was always more on the Trotsky side of things. Yeah. I stopped giving a shit up. But I'm not going to endorse or promote any way of controlling people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, socialism is the best way. It's like, you know what? It's all fucking run by idiots. Not idiots. It's assholes. People who want power. To get back to your story, now you're done with college and it's like your punk rock experiment is in the past and you're 
just going to have a real a real life kind of a normal person life? I tried to have a real life for a while. I was a homeowner, a married dude with a dog and a cat. Yeah, you're a much more establishment person in many ways than a lot of the more marginal characters on the scene, such as myself. Yeah. You were a married man with a dog and a cat yeah, and a house. Like, I tried adulthood. You know what I mean? But you're my age, so it seems yeah. difficult to understand. But I'm really 15 years old. I tell people that all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's a conscious choice that you have to make, I guess. Oh. So you tried to give it up and be grown up. Yeah. Was there a point at which you were like, now is the time to be an adult? I've, I've always wanted to have like that sort of stability, and it's nice. It's just a matter of I'm always going to be an angry teenager. You know what I mean? Like I'm always going to. But be... you tried to not be for a while, so I just thought time. I could put the two together. And uh, I want to talk about your divorce a little bit. You said you were a married man. That was the real life you were trying. So did you get sick of that life and and the marriage too, or was it? just a marriage that was already falling apart for whatever reason like I'm, I'm sure my own characteristics failings led to my divorce in some ways but there was a lot more to it me being on the road all the time doesn't help anything for one just having the idealism and chasing that thing. some people actually have longer or better relationships because of that but you'd have to marry mm -hmm. someone who was down with that plan I'm going to be gone 60% of the time, so you got to be someone who really likes having their space, and then it's great yeah. for you. For me, that's partly, like, I've lived with girls for <clears throat> what was the longest time. It was, like, seven months. Mm -hmm. Relationships of, like, three or four years, we were living together off and on. And I always felt claustrophobic as fuck by the end of it. Just, like, I don't have anything that's mine. Everything that I own is shared with this other person. I can't, there's no room I can go and just be by myself for as long as I need to. Yeah. It's going to cause a problem. I've been in the bathroom for 20 minutes. Honey, are you okay in there? I know the feeling, yeah. And I, I just need space. I just like to daydream and shit. Look at the wall. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. I don't know if you're like that or not, or maybe you're not. I can be, but I mean, like, I'm also good at communicating, letting people know what I need. So it wasn't like you needed your space, that that wasn't a contributing factor, you don't know? No. I think it was mostly just we grew in different directions. We had different lives, extremely different lives, where it made us hard to connect. Different social lives, too? Very much so, yeah. And especially when someone has a job or profession that is nine to five or situation then i'm out every night you know yeah that's just i mean there's a lot more to it because i mean it's 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 not so cut and dry but were you doing comedy when you guys started going out no we started going out when i was my 25th birthday is where i met her and then i started doing comedy when i was 27 28 it's around there so so you were just a homebody for the first few years well i was fucking drunk like i mean i'm, I'm not a sober as a priest now, but you're like, pretty well restrained, or else you do your your violent drinking in private. Yeah, way. well, I'm, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that well, I guess that just uh, goes into defining a drunk. Like, I mean, if I'm drunk all the time, but I'm really good at being drunk, it doesn't make me. Then what? What problem? Then you don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got it under control. I know a lot of people from college. When I met them in college, I was like. Holy shit, this is the dictionary definition of an out-of-control alcoholic. Yeah. But now I'm like, okay, he just likes to drink a lot. Well, there's a time there when I was attempting to be an adult. Uh, you know, it was just like, oh, every night it would be a, a six-pack and then a couple of bowls just to get through the fucking night. And it's like, I don't do that anymore. I just drink when I'm around people, which is better, but still not the best. So. Do you still smoke weed or? Yeah. 
but I can't smoke weed around people. Yeah, that's so weird. Like, I was just seeing someone who's like definitely more of a hippie who's like, another hour's passed by, time to smoke a bowl. And I'm like, I'm just going to smoke in my room later by myself. I don't need to hang out. Yeah. I, I have panic attacks about social interactions. I can smoke with someone that like I've known for a long time and I can be comfortable with. But if I'm at a mic or at a party or someone, someone's like, hey, Zach, can we go smoke? I'm like, it's not going to work. Yeah, I love to watch like a group of blown comedians stumble back in and then one of them doesn't realize he's like next. That's yeah. like, that always used to happen at um, Flock Yourself. I don't, I don't see it too much anymore no. at mics. It's a shame. I mean, because it would make it easier for me to do well. But the people are <laughs> fucked up. In Portland now, weed is just recreationally legal. Yep. I'll be going out to Denver and I'll just, there's none of that paranoia. I can smoke it and go out in the mountains. Yeah. All right. So two bowls together tonight. And now you smoke, but not as much. Right yeah. I'm much better than I was. I mean, like, it was it was turned into a big problem when I when I wasn't when I didn't have that outlet. And then... But you're by yourself now, so mm-hmm. in a way, you know, maybe you were medicating away the problem of the relationship. That's that's a possibility. But that, yeah, I mean, like, I, I hate to dwell on it and sort of try to figure out exactly how it went wrong. I just know it went wrong, and like now, like where I'm at now, what can I do about it? Like, well, can can it be fixed? No. Most relationships fail no matter what you do. Yeah. And until you find the one that doesn't, every single one has when you think about it. Well, from the place I'm sitting right now, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Unless, you know, there's like children and then I don't know what the fuck. You know there are yeah. people who had children who regret having those children. Yeah. But what are they going to do? Well, I mean, and I look at my whole family. There's not a single person that had a successful relationship. There's my grandparents who are dead that were married for 70 years. I'd like a good five to seven years with someone. Yeah. And then we can squeeze a couple children out of it and be on good terms afterwards. My parents have been married for 30 years, but like, if I were them, I would have gotten divorced several times Sure. in that span. They're just codependent to the point that it overwhelms their ability to escape, I think. Yeah, that was one thing that I was uh, disappointed with when my marriage ended. My parents were together for eight years. I was together with my ex-wife for about seven and a half. Ah, oh, you're so close. I just wanted to eclipse them. <laughs> so if they ever tried to give me uh, relationship advice, I'd be like, listen, I've had longer marriage than you. I'll give you relationship advice. Yeah, exactly. Did either of them remarry after that? Or... No. Were you young when they got divorced? Yeah, I was like five. And you must have nurtured the hope of reconciliation for some time. Huh? Not really. I never remembered them having a good marriage. I never remember them liking each other. So it was like, maybe I just, you know, normalcy is that of being alone, which is fine. And being in a successful relationship requires you to, like, have a mind meld with another organism and let them control your thoughts. I mean, if you don't do that, then it's not really a successful one. I I remember probably about a week or two after me and the ex split up, I remember going to Target and picking out dryer sheets and and being, like, reaching for the ones that was like, oh, we get the Donnie with the lavender because that's what she likes. And I was like, you know what? Okay, fucking dryer sheets I want right now. And I was like, buy a store like the lavender. So I got those still. But I had that freedom. It's like, so that I understand, like, my actions to that even small degree were based on my relationship. Not so much what I wanted, but what someone else wanted. And it's like, now I can do whatever the fuck I want. Which is a big change, even if it's a small task that's changing. I always worry, though, that, like, I get too comfortable with that to ever want to give it up. But maybe that's bad. My parents 
really disliked the last girl I was in a serious relationship with mm-hmm. until we split up. And then, yeah. like, what? She was so... You hated her. Well, of course, I said all those terrible things, but, you know. Yeah. And then they're like, if you're alone for too long, you'll get to like it. And I was like, yeah. so fucking what? Yeah. But it's true, in a, you know, if that's your goal in an abstract sense, to be a married person, you're going to get too comfortable being single, I guess. I'm just really happy I can take time off from having to have my life mapped out. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, like what? I wanted to get married, have a house, stuff like that. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. That was always the thing that I saw my parents do. Mm-hmm. And as a little kid, I was like, I will be the opposite of this. Mm-hmm. When I was seven, and I was like, oh my God, they're so mad because they have mortgages and kids now, but they still want to have a good time and go out and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And they can never do that again. They're old forever, which... Some people would have figured out a way to have fun anyway. My parents couldn't, yeah. though. And huh. I was like, I don't want that. I want to have fun. I don't... You'll always end up being old when you're old. Yeah. But you don't have to be old when you're 35. No. Figure out what you value in life and then follow that. That's the hard fucking part. Figure out, ah, that's what I want. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, right now in my life, I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want with my life. You know what I mean? If it's not fucking kids, it's not kids and legacy and family, obviously. Like, well, then what the fuck is it? I don't know. You can have kids and a family when you're 50. As a guy. As a guy, yeah. <laughs> as a woman, too, nowadays. Well, if you can find a woman that's willing to have sex with a 50-year-old. It could be age-appropriate. I'm not mad at that. I've never yeah, been someone who, like... adopt, maybe? <laughs> adopt a wife? Yeah, oh, yeah, adopt yeah. a wife. <laughs> you can pull a Woody Allen. That relationship has lasted so long. It's impressive. He's still a horrible creep, but, like... It's very impressive. Yeah, at least he's committed to being a horrible creep. Now he's just with a lady. She's probably way too old for him. He's probably Googling 18-year-old barely legal hotties. But he's like, no, I'm married to this 45-year-old woman because I did a horrible thing when she was 17, and now I just have to... So it's, it's his penance for his own... Problem. I don't know. Maybe they're deeply in love based on the weird, inappropriate sexual games he started playing with her when she was 17. <laughs> yeah. That could happen. Weird, inappropriate sexual games binds people for life, I guess. <laughs> That's what you need to make a lasting relationship work. Yeah, well, I mean, as a comedian in my 30s, there's like a period of time here where I can become viable enough, baby, to not have a job mm-hmm. and then do that for a while and then see where it goes. And then your life can kind of start when you're more established. Well, I watched this interview with Ben Roy, Denver comic, who's like, the best thing you can do as a comic is figure out where you want to be and get there. So that's what I'm trying to do. Like, material-wise like, or? Like, goals. Understand your goals better than right. anything. Somehow. And that's what I can't do for shit yet. You know, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes well, too long. Yeah. Okay. In summary, then, in an awkward attempt to shoehorn a summary into this conversation, which is as wide-ranging as life itself, really. But... We're guys in our early 30s, and you can't really look back on your life and come to a meaningful no. conclusion. We're relatively very young. So all we can do is look back on the small amount of living that we've had so far and try to qualify it as one thing or another. But uh, I always feel like the punk rock band thing is a missed something. I think you might have a more realistic view of it than I do. But like these fucking bands that had... Major success briefly, like Weedus, you know, a teenage mm-hmm. dirtbag song. Like, fucking, I could have written that song. That's not a hard song to write or play. Yeah. Or the fucking Plain White Tees. Yeah. Hey There Delilah, or what's that other one that they wrote? I have no idea. It's he, his girlfriend got mad, or his fiance, now his wife, he wrote this song for this Delilah chick, 
nothing for her. So he wrote a song for his. It's not as good as the Delilah one, but it was like <laughs> it was still a radio hit. It was great for the band. They had a second shot at it, but no, nah, no one yeah. would say that. I feel like yeah, you know, you're in that lane. You feel like that with your interest in history that you your mistake wasn't really knowing what you wanted to do or if you yeah. wanted to do it. And sort of not understanding the amount of work it took to, to get it. Because if I really wanted it, I could easily do the work. You know, but it's just like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't really want to go fucking teach at Georgia Tech or whatever. You know, because that's a lot of fucking time, a lot of effort. If I go back to school, that's debt until I die. Yeah, well, that's the good thing about comedy. You don't have to go into debt to do it beyond your living situation. But do you feel like you're doing the work now that you could have yeah, done in those I other do. things? I feel like I put as much as I can into something, which is the most important thing to me. So, yeah, you know, if we didn't put in work into our relationships or our bands or our day jobs yeah. or educations, at least we're putting work in comedy now. Uh, Zach more than me. Zach works really hard. I'm still kind of fucking off in life. But once you figure out what you want to do, then you have to work on that thing. Mm -hmm. You only have to really work at one thing. It, it's, it's, this is fucking so uh, dumb, but the uh, Bukowski quote, it's like, find out what you love and let it kill you. Yeah. So I thought he meant alcohol, though. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what he loved, obviously. I'm not really down with the Bukowski backlash. I can support the Doors backlash, the Sublime backlash. Those are popular backlashes. But the Bukowski backlash, I feel like it's people who are reacting to those douchey guys who want to be Bukowski so bad. Yeah. But one of them Bukowski, like, drunken pieces of shit need a voice, too, I guess. Yeah, and especially if you read, like, Post Office and stuff, it's that's the most inspiring because he had the shittiest day jobs and he was terrified to lose them. He was like, I have to do this or I will be living on the street. Yeah. And then he would drink all night and then he'd go to work all day. And then he was about 40 and then he was like, Oh, here's a way out of this thing where I'm just going to be obscure and depressed. And, yeah. And so that's awesome. Yeah, he was a horrible piece of shit, but he found a way out of it. Yeah. If you're a fuck-up, I guess just hang in there. Keep trying new things. Comedy is what we're doing. Bukowski wrote poetry and stories. Maybe you paint portraits. I don't know. Draw pictures at the beach. Do something creative, and eventually, maybe, you'll find something you're awesome at. Uh, and then you won't have to drink yourself to death, right? What do you think, Zach? I definitely haven't figured it out yet. I don't know what people need to do. Enjoy your life. Do whatever you want. Enjoy your life. Do whatever you want. Get married, but don't be afraid to get divorced. <laughs> um, try to figure out at least one passion that you have yeah. before you're like 32. Before you're dead. Yeah. Before you're dead, try to enjoy your life. There you go. Or else it's all been a bunch of mistakes. Thanks for listening.